Hello and welcome to You Might Also Like, a podcast where you will receive the movie suggestions you didn't know you needed. I'm your host, as always, Luke Spaulding. Happy October. I am officially, for the next few weeks of October and few episodes of this podcast, probably going to be talking about movies that I consider Halloween movies. So if that's not something that's up your alley, you guys, you're probably going to want to skip the next few weeks. I've got two movies this week. Despite the title of this episode, I'm not talking about The Sixth Sense, but I do have two movies where the characters in this movie, or one of the characters in each movie, does speak slash see, speak with slash see dead people. This first movie that I'm talking about is the 1988 classic, classic movie, Beetlejuice. And I will be saying it three times in this episode. So hopefully Michael Keaton does not show up at my apartment in his creepy pinstripe black suit and green hair. But anyway, Beetlejuice. Maybe people don't really consider this a Halloween movie. I'm not even sure like what genre I would call this. It's like a comedy. Like It's, like, it's a PG movie, so it's a family-friendly comedy horror movie, kind of. If you haven't seen Beetlejuice... The plot on IMDb is telling you that the spirits of a deceased couple are harassed by an unbearable family that has moved into their home and hire a malicious spirit to drive them out. So basically, we've got hunky Alec Baldwin from the 80s before he was had a striking resemblance to Donald Trump and was playing Donald Trump all the time on SNL. He was... A young hunky guy who was married to Gina Davis in this movie. Alec and Gina have this like huge farmhouse in the middle of nowhere Connecticut and they are living their best life until one day they are driving back from errands in town and they drive their car off the local covered bridge and fall into the water and somehow aren't able to get out of their car easily and they both die tragically now alec and gina are suddenly living in some sort of purgatory in between two realms but stuck in their house so they're not sure how long they don't really know how to be dead but at first they're happy because they're like well we're in our house together at least maybe this is heaven and then all of a sudden, the Dietzes move in, which is, all of a sudden we've got Catherine O'Hara rolling up, kooky Catherine O'Hara in this movie, with her husband and her stepdaughter, who is Winona Ryder in this movie. And these guys are moving in from New York. It's crazy because Catherine O'Hara's character in this movie is pretty similar to, I think Catherine O'Hara always plays kooky characters, but she's pretty similar to Moira Rose in this movie because... Both Delia and Moira are these elegant, artsy women who come from New York and all of a sudden are having to move out into this place in the middle of nowhere and they're unhappy with the move and they're not able to fully express their creative indulgence in these new middle-of-nowhere environments. So maybe Dan and Eugene Levy really wrote Moira Rose a little bit off of Delia from Beetlejuice. But yeah, this family comes in and all of a sudden they start changing, you know, they start changing Alec and Gina's house. They start adding all this like super modern art. They're changing the wallpaper. They're 
taking out all their old furniture, putting new furniture in. They're just really changing their old house and they've become such an unwelcome presence in their house. So Alec and Gina start wanting to do anything in, in their ghostly powers that they can to get this new family out of their, it, their home that they have to spend eternity in now, I guess. They try to do everything in their power to get them out. They like wear sheets on their head and moan and pretend that they're ghosts and they try to like rip their faces off. But nobody can see them except for Winona Ryder. Um, Winona Ryder, for some reason, is the only one who can see them and hear them and talk to them. So they hire the help of a bio-exorcist that they see the ad for, which is Beetlejuice, played by Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton does such an amazing job at playing Beetlejuice in this movie. I'm surprised all the crazy like nominations I've seen in past years for... I'm not saying he deserves an Oscar nomination, but I mean, at least like... A comedy nom like best actor in a comedy or musical at the Golden Globes like the Globes are like notorious for nominating like going so off the handle when they come with their acting nominations I'm surprised Michael Keaton couldn't have jumped on the bandwagon for this because he just plays such a good like pervy gross dead guy monster whatever he is but Alec and Gina have <laughs> it's kind of funny because this movie has, like, a really unique take on what it is to be dead. I mean, Alec and Gina go, at one point, like, draw a door and go into, like, this, like, waiting room for the dead where they talk with their caseworker who is supposed to help them along the process of them learning how to be dead. They have, like, a handbook that's called, like, the Handbook for the Recently Deceased. Um, but their caseworker, Juno, is, like, no, like, don't call Beetlejuice, he's a terrible guy, like, don't even say his name, because if you say it three times, then he's gonna come back, and, like, he's just gonna wreak havoc, you don't want him, but Alec and Gina don't listen, and of course, all the havoc that ensues once Beetlejuice comes into the lives of the, f of all of them is insane. I watch this movie for many reasons, all the time, every year around Halloween, but also other times during the year, but definitely, I watch it for this most iconic scene of this movie, which is when they all get possessed around the dinner table at a dinner party and dance and sing to the Deo, Deo by Harry Belafonte, and they do the calypso around the table. Because nobody can hear that song now and not think about this scene. This is one of those songs that a certain movie has made this song so iconic. Like, you know, up there with like, Take My Breath Away. And then another song that I'm going to talk about in for the next movie that I talk about in this same episode. But Harry Belafonte has really played a lot in this movie. There's also a scene at the end of the movie where they play um, Shake Senora in a really cute scene with Winona Ryder dancing. Honestly, this movie is just so delightfully campy, and it's that way on purpose. Like, I showed this movie to my boyfriend for the first time when I rewatched it for this podcast, and I was really scared that he wasn't... I, I was scared. I'm like, oh my god. Like, it's so scary to show someone a movie that you cherish so much, because you're like, what if they don't like it? Like, what if they don't appreciate it for how campy it is? Because it's not trying to be a scary movie. It's not really trying to be it is a funny movie but it's just it is what it is and what it is is a delightful weird masterpiece by Tim Burton I mean do we could we expect anything less from Tim Burton 
I mean, he's also the one who brought us, who brought us like Edward Scissorhands and Sweeney Todd and so many other delightful masterpieces. I mean, Tim Burton purposely made the effects of this movie look tacky. He wanted it to look like a beam movie in Hollywood. I mean, the budget for this visual effects on this movie was $1 million, which in terms of film budgets, I think $1 million is like $20 in real people money. Like, it's not a lot for visual effects. And you can definitely tell. I mean, there are scenes when Alec and Gina try to leave their house. They all of a sudden get stuck in, like, some weird, like, desert scene where there's, like, this, like, puppet sandworm that's, like, trying to come and eat them. It, it like, every time you watch it, and I'm like, even for the late 80s, like, the special effects, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like, they're so tacky. But that's what makes, that's just, like, what adds to the enjoyment of this movie. It's got an, it's certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an 84%. It won an Oscar, guys. Yeah, Beetlejuice is an Oscar winner. Let that sink into your head for a moment. It won an Oscar for Best Makeup. Um, it was one of Winona Ryder's first films. Michael Keaton ad-libbed 90% of his lines as Beatle just in this movie. That's just further goes to my point of how could he not at least get a Golden Globe nomination for acting in this movie. But for one of Winona Ryder's first films, this is, a, she did a really great job. I mean, she has such a big role in this movie too, because she is the only one at first who can see and speak with Alec and Gina. I mean, she becomes closer with the dead people than her own parents, and they become the only thing in her life that really makes her happy in this small Connecticut town. I mean, Alec and Gina, at first, they, they want to scare out everybody, but then they go from being an unwelcome presence in their life to people that they wouldn't mind sharing their treasured home with. This movie really is just... I, I've said it once, I'll say it a million times. It's just so delightfully campy it's just, it's a classic. It's a staple to, it's it's a staple not even just to, like, fun, like, kid-friendly PG Halloween movies. I, it's, I don't even know what genre to call this movie. I guess it's a comedy. I guess it's a children's movie, kind of. I don't know if I'd even call it a kid's movie because Beetlejuice definitely is pretty pervy and does weird things he's like always like booping gina davis's like butt and boobs and and he goes to like a strip club at one point in this movie so i don't know if it's kid friendly it is rated pg though but this movie is just a staple to film culture in general i think because of how timeless it is and even though it is so b movie as far as the special effects it still has aged so well and not all movies from the late 80s age as well as this movie did, I think. So with that being said, if you like Beetlejuice, you might also like Edward Scissorhands, Frankenweenie. I mean, those are both some more Tim Burton movies. You might also like Mars Attacks. That's like a perfect example of what you might also like if you like this movie because it's another one of those like super campy, like sci-fi weird visual effects comedy movie but what i'm going to suggest to you instead of those is another movie that involves one of the characters being able to speak with the dead but it's definitely a completely different genre but also in the same realm of like timeless classics that are from the 80s 90s and that movie is ghost starring 
Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. I did not mean to talk about Patrick Swayze two weeks in a row. I guess I'm really just going down a Patrick Swayze classics uh, time in my life. Maybe next week I'm going to watch Roadhouse. Maybe the week after that I'm going to watch Dirty Dancing. I'd honestly never seen a Patrick Swayze movie up until last week when I watched Point Break for the first time. So I'm really sad that I'm just now getting into how great he is almost 10 or over 10 years after his death. But Ghost is, after a young man is murdered, his spirit stays behind to warn his lover of impending danger with the help of a reluctant psychic. So that's a pretty good description of this movie. I mean, Patrick and Demi are hopelessly in love. They just moved in together. They love to do pottery together seductively. We all know the iconic scene from this movie where Patrick Swayze is behind Demi Moore while she's um, making her pottery on her, what is that thing even called? And the song Unchained Melody is playing. That's a, another song like Deo from Beetlejuice that's just so iconic because of this movie. Now nobody can hear that song and not think of Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore making pottery together. But yeah, they are hopelessly in love, and then one day they're walking together after going to the theater because they love to do stuff together, and he is mugged and shot and killed. And after that, I mean, he's just walking around aimlessly and confused after he first dies. I mean, he's watching the aftermath of his death and seeing how broken Demi Moore is from his death. But then as he's dead, he starts to see the guy who mugged him. He sees the guy who mugged him starting to sulk around and breaking into him and Demi's house while Demi is home. Now he's realizing that his death probably wasn't just an accident gone wrong with a mugging. Like he's realizing that there is some deeper, deeper shit going on with his death. And he's realizing he was probably murdered and he needs to warned Demi Moore that she is in danger. She is in danger. One thing that's uh, so different about this movie is when he's walking around aimlessly during his death, but the difference between Alec and Gina walking around aimlessly after their death and Patrick Swayze walking around aimlessly after his death are so, so different because Alec and Gina can't even go to their garage and get, like, the broom without, like, and landing in that green screen desert with the sandworm but meanwhile Patrick Swayze is like riding the J train I mean he can go wherever he wants he just can't talk or nobody can see him until he find he finds a psychic because he's trying to find a way that he can communicate with his late girlfriend to let her know that she's in danger um bring in Whoopi Goldberg the best part about this movie I mean, I ended up liking this movie so much more than I thought I was going to, guys, but for many reasons, but definitely for Whoopi Goldberg. She has such a great role as Oda Mae Brown in this movie, the psychic who communicates. Well, Whoopi Goldberg at first seems like a quack when he first goes to see her. Um, he's kind of like rolling his eyes at her, and um, she's kind of just like uh, your typical quack psychic who just it's like, oh, um, I'm seeing... Is there a woman, um, Catherine, uh, Dana, uh, Maria, uh, 
Lena, and then the person's like, yes, that name. She's like, okay, yes, yes, yes. That's what I thought. Like, she's pretty, she's just kind of using people to get their money. But then she actually turns out she can talk to the dead, even though she was pretending to do it all these years. And she can hear Patrick Swayze, but she can't see him. So then she goes to see Demi and communicate to her through Patrick Swayze. This specific scene where they first all have this communication together is actually pretty funny because Patrick is trying to relay to Whoopi Goldberg what he wants to say to Demi Moore and Demi Moore is still kind of skeptical about the whole situation and Patrick is like yelling at Whoopi Goldberg and Whoopi Goldberg is fighting back with him this this is just a very funny scene Damn it, don't you goddamn it me. Don't you take the Lord's name in vain with me. You understand? I don't take Would that. You relax. Man. No, you relax. You're the dead guy. You want me to help you? You better apologize. Because oh, I don't Jesus take that from you. That's it. I'm leaving. I, I'm leaving. Nobody talks to me like that. You understand me? But then, I mean, Demi Moore, obviously, she is skeptical at first, but then she believes it because Whoopi Goldberg is coming to her with so many specific things that how would she know them? Like specific things about the trip you guys took to. Barbados or wherever they went and that sweater that you spilled coffee on and just like so many specific things that only Patrick Swayze would know and she wants to go to the police um obviously uh, uh, there are so many things surrounding Patrick's murder that she need to be brought to light by the police especially because Demi Moore is still in danger and I forgot to mention Patrick Swayze has a business partner in this movie he I think was an accountant and he has a business partner who has been comforting Demi throughout his whole death because um, he was also Patrick's best friend. And he starts to get sketchy as the movie goes on. And he especially starts to get sketchy when Demi wants to go to the police. And that's where I'll leave that. And I'll leave you guys. If you haven't seen Ghost by now, it's like 30 years old. But, you know, I hadn't seen it. So I'm going to leave my listeners to go and watch the twist of this movie on their own. It's funny because this whole movie, like, Patrick's, like, trying to, like, whenever he gets mad at people in the real world, he's trying to, like, swing punches at them and just, like, swinging and, like, hitting nothing in the air. Like, I'm like, dude, you're a ghost. You can't even open a doorknob. Like, you can walk through walls, but, like, you can't. You're not going to physically, like, right hook someone in the jaw, like, if you can't even open a door. But like I said, Whoopi Goldberg as Otome Brown is definitely like the best part about this movie. She won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in this, for her role in this. In both movies, the ghosts use their ghostly powers to protect what they love, whether it's a house or whether it's Demi Moore. Both movies have one person who can talk with the dead, that being Winona Ryder and Whoopi Goldberg. In Beetlejuice, Winona Ryder can see and talk with Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis but then in this movie Whoopi Goldberg she can't see Patrick Swayze she doesn't really know what he looks like other other than pictures but she can hear his voice and she just know like she can hear him whenever he's talking to her and like I said too both of these movies have a song that is so iconic from this movie that when you hear that song now you're always going to think of a specific scene from Beetlejuice either if it's Catherine O'Hara doing the calypso around a table to Dale, or if it's Patrick Swayze and Demi seductively making pottery. But like I said, this movie, this movie is also just a timeless classic that I didn't expect to like this much. I mean, it's got a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh. Um, 
It won also Best Writing for at the Oscars, as well as Best Supporting Actress for Whoopi, um, and it was nominated for three others, including Best Picture. It's a romance, it's a mystery, it's a comedy, it's a thriller, it's, it's kind of got a lot of genres all jumbled up in one, but it's also a movie that's aged so well. You guys need to go watch both of these movies for sure if you haven't seen them. Neither of them are available to stream for free on any platforms as far as I know, but you can definitely rent both of them for at least a f- just like a few bucks on Amazon, and it's definitely worth it if you haven't seen them or if you just want to watch them again if you're feeling nostalgic because both movies from the late 80s, early 90s, with that being said, you guys rate and review me on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on social media, Instagram at you might also like pod. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.